Believe it or not, it is Tuesday, July 6th. This is the Macro Setup. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's episode is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors. Yes, you heard it, plural. <laughs> IGUS, one of the fastest-growing Forex dealers in North America. By the way, we're going to be joined by the great Peter Hanks. And, of course, Open Exchange, Dan, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. I'm fired up, Dan. How are you? I'm fired up, guy. I'm recharged. Long weekend here. Markets turn the calendar corner here. We're like into the, the, the second half of the year. Did you see that one are. coming, guys? I, I see what you did. That's a nice job by you. It's, it's remarkable um, the last couple months we've had, and we're off to an interesting start this month, Dan. And as they say in the business, let's slide it, Earl, because I want to get right into it. Are you are you familiar with uh, the great Getty Lee, Dan Nation, Dan Nathan, Dan Nation? Dan well, you're Nathan. obviously you're not obviously familiar with me, but but go ahead and tell me about <laughs> Mr. Getty Lee. Getty here. Lee, and yeah. of course the drummer Neil Pert. Some people say Pert. I'm not sure of the proper pronunciation, but they make up two thirds of the band Rush. And I got to tell you, Dan, <laughs> retail investors are rushing in because they don't want to miss out. And you see in this Wall Street Journal article. Maybe it lasts or maybe this wave crashes on the beach. We're going to find out. Yeah, I think it's interesting to start the second half of the year, especially when we had a second half as strong as we did, um, you know, so far. You know, I think the S&P was up nearly 15 percent year to date. I know there's a lot of data that suggests when you have um, that sort of performance the first half of the year that, you know, most of the time you have a very strong um, back half of the year. I think what's different this time, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later, Guy, is just all the distortions in the other markets outside of the equity markets here. And so, you know, past performance is not indicative of future returns. I think you're probably familiar with that statement here. And I think that there's a lot of FOMO here. And I think there's also a situation where there's a lot of investors who have maybe, you know, for a whole host of reasons, been on the sidelines over the last 18 months or so for a lot of good reasons too, Guy. But maybe we've seen a lot of the um, stats about household income and balance sheets and that sort of thing. And they want to get into the game and just, you know, sometimes it, it maybe makes sense to see that wave crash a little bit. And I don't mean crash, crash, crash correct or something like that before you kind of jump in because buying at highs and selling at lows is the worst things you can do. And no one knows when they're going to happen here, but at least you can gauge sentiment and at least you can follow some virtual meetings that matter like this one. I just got to give a quick shout out to Open Exchange. They've been our partner since we started doing the macro setup uh, in and the production in October. Obviously, Nadex and IG conceived of this, and we've had a ton of fun doing with that with them. So it's amazing to have such a strong um, partner um, join, the, uh, join the crew here, the sponsorship crew of Open Exchange. So shout out there. Um, listen, guy, maybe we're seeing money that came out of crypto in May and June move its way into some of those retail pockets in the stock market. Maybe that's what we're seeing a little bit. No, it could be. And listen, just, just for point of reference, for you folks that have surfed Mavericks like I have, I was one of the early people at Mavericks. <laughs> you'll look at this picture. There'd be five people theoretically on that wave. Only two of them really have a shot. And those two, it's the one at the bottom, and it's the one sort of lying down, uh, waiting for his or her set. The other three are totally Whoa. screwed to the fact that you surf, and I think that's indicative of this market. I mean, there might be a few survivors, but they're, the majority of them, I think, are in at the wrong time, which brings us to our first chart, Dan, Nathan. Once again, slide it, Earl. This is the S&P 500. This is your hungry alligator. This is a chart <laughs> that's done everything right. That trend line has been intact. We've touched it a couple times. Here we are. Basically, listen, we almost pushed up to the previous Tom Lee call of 4,400 last week. 
Uh, we're within a whisper of it, obviously, today notwithstanding. But there's nothing not to like about this chart. If you were just look at this chart and I didn't tell you what it was, you'd say this is extraordinarily constructive. Yeah, and you might also say, you know what, I'm going to wait until we get a pullback towards 42.20 or so to kind of kind of re-up or, or, or add to my long position there, right? Because, you know, when we see that sort of 10-day move that we had since the bounce of that uh, trend line in mid-June, you know, that was a pretty orderly breakout here, but might have been some window dressing into um, quarter end or so. It's just interesting when you see those lines there, Guy, you look at that March low, that we drove that line where that that the most recent uptrend starts and you go horizontally all the way to the right and what does that take you down to that uh 200 day moving average listen you know that air pocket between um, you know, 4,200 or so and 3,800, that seems like a lot, a lot of real estate. And there would have to be a lot of things go wrong in the next couple of months for that to happen. But, um, you know, at least we got to play for a pullback to that breakout level, which is the intersection of the breakout level and the uptrend in the near term. No, and there, listen, there are a lot of headline risks out there. The market's looking past it. But again, you mentioned this 3,850 level, which is effectively 500 S&P points. You can do the math, maybe 12% yeah. or so from where we are now. But you you said it. You know, you break that trend line which you drew probably around forty two fifty ish or so, and I think you are looking pr pretty much at a straight line down. Remember, markets go down much faster than they go up, and I think you're going to be surprised by the speed and alacrity with this one. Alacrity, moves. you like wow. that? There you and go. Just, and I know we bring this up all the time, but the fact that we have not visited that two hundred day moving average seemingly in, in eons is. Again, the longer we stay away from it, the, the, the more scared I get. Um, that fear has been, um, been ill-advised, as they say. But again, it's there and it's not going away anytime soon, which brings us to our next chart, which, of course, if you go to the S&P, the next one is the NASDAQ. Equally constructive chart. Nothing not to like here. Finally, you're getting some cooperation from your F-MAGA complex as we yeah. speak today. Apple moving higher, Amazon, all these stocks seemingly on the move ahead of earnings at the end of this month. Again, nothing not to like, other than the fact, again, that we haven't had a real visit of that 200 day in quite some time. Yeah, I think what I don't like about it is it's come a very long way um, where we have a whole month until we get Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Google, or Amazon, or at least three weeks or so, all of those earnings. Those make up about 40% of the NASDAQ 100, those five names or so. Um, and you've just had this tremendous move. I mean, listen, Guy, back in early May, you know, the, the NDX was actually looks like it was in a earshot of that 200-day moving average. One that, you know, the S&P were those same five names make up about 20% hasn't even gotten you know close to it so you kind of had your shakeout a couple times in tech this year you had that march sell-off and then you had that one in may so here mm -hmm. we are on this runaway breakout again i suspect we see a pullback to fourteen thousand or so listen you do not want to keep buying these day in and day out making new all-time highs into earnings the only thing that can happen is a massive disappointment as we get into um the end of uh the summer and so listen i want to keep an eye on the nasdaq 100, the QQQ, the ETF that tracks it, that's where I think you reload in any market correction, because I think those are the names that let us out of the throes of the pandemic crash as it relates to market terms. But I think they're going to also be the ones that lead us out of the throes of the pandemic, if you will, as we get to the other side of it from an economic standpoint. So we had the market implications last year. Now I think we're looking at the um, economic implications, but really we need
need to see a pullback for that to be a sustainable buy level, in my opinion. I, I agree. And this brings us to the conundrum chart. You like that word, Dan? Whoa. And that's the yeah. yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. That's the Russell small cap, because this is the one I think it's having a real hard time trying to figure out what it wants and what does it want in the form of yields, right? You know, when yields were moving higher, obviously the Russell loved that because it was suggestive of growth. Obviously, this is the, this is the group that's most um, sensitive to growth. And you saw what happened off to the races. Then yields got a little too high. And Russell said, hmm, maybe we're getting a bit of our he- ahead of ourselves. And that's why it's been going sideways pretty much since January, February. Now with yields moving lower, I think the Russell's saying, wait a second, maybe the growth that we anticipated is not going to be there. So this one to me, Dan, is really the one that everybody has to watch. More so than the NASDAQ, more so than the S&P 500. If the Russell gives up the ghost here without having to make a new all-time high, Back, I think, in February, what does that tell you? And is that 2050 level in the bullseye in the crosshairs? Yeah, I think you lay it out pretty well, Guy. It really has tracked at least the sideways action over the last few months. That's really come as the the rates, the 10-year Treasury yield has been in a downtrend, right? It topped out, I think, at 177, and now it's at 135 or so. And in the Russell 2000, which has kind of made up a lot of domestic names, a lot of financials, um, and a lot of cyclical names, um, you know, it doesn't really know what to do, as you said, I think that little uptrend that we've seen over the last month and a half that looks vulnerable here. And then the next line of support really gets you down to that 2100 down to that 2050, which is that 200 day. Um, it looked like it wanted to try to break out um, as this S&P and the NASDAQ did over the last couple of weeks. I just think that that's something really um, important to highlight. So I suspect the Russell to kind of lead the way um, to the downside. And I think to your point, that says a lot about second half growth expectations, which will lead us into earnings season. We're going to get underway next week with the banks, and we just might see a bit of a lackluster sort of guidance. What would you do, Guy, if you're a corporate and you don't know, you know, you're a multinational, let's say, and you don't know the pace of the recovery, and you know it's not going to be linear, and you know that there's going to be some geographic hiccups and that sort of thing, and you don't know about the the variance of this thing and what the vaccines do, you might be conservative, especially with markets or your stock um, very near all-time highs, which brings us to the VIX, Guy. We but before we about- go to the VIX, let's yeah. just go quick. I know we want to run through this, but it's important yeah. to point out, if we can go back to the Russell, we'll, we put up an 18-month chart, Dan, yeah. because they're actually, I, you drew great lines, but there actually is a trend line going back to March of last year. Yeah. You touched that with the lows of September, October, and you have a very well-defined uptrend. And yeah. to answer your question real quick on what a corporate's going to do, you wonder what happens with CapEx uh, at the back half of this year on the back of all the comments you just made, which takes us to the VIX, Dan, Nathan, please slide it all once again. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we haven't talked about this in a while. And, you know, we didn't draw any lines in here because drawing lines on the VIX is not particularly important. I mean, really what's important for most investors to understand is that there's an asymmetric, um, you know, relationship to the price of the VIX. It can only go to zero, right? And it can go up to infinity. And and when and I, I say that, there's been some spikes where it feels like there's no high that's that's not high enough, you know, when we're in the pit of a, a massive sell-off like we were last February um, in March, but we've kind of filled in that gap from February 2020 pre-pandemic, um, and it feels like we're at a level of complacency, guy. And you and I talked, I think, on this 
program last week on the macro setup, um, just about S&P vol being cheaper than that of, of treasury yield uh, ETF vol, mm -hmm. which just tells you that there's a lot of complacency with equities. You put that together with that first slide that we had from that journal article about all of the inflows into equity markets in June, and you say to yourself, that's kind of um, a bad setup for new investors. No reason for people to own put protection. As a matter of fact, people are falling into those bad habits where I think they're actually selling options to create synthetic dividends. Because you know why, Dan? The market never goes lower. And I don't say that to be glib because effectively it's really been true over the last you know couple of years, obviously last March uh, notwithstanding. But you know what I'm saying? And I think people have lulled back into that sense of security that the Fed has their back, everything's fine. Any sell-off is going to be met by huge demand. And there's no reason to own volatility. And that is a dangerous game to be playing. I think we'll see what happens over the next couple of days, which brings us to something, Dan, you've been spot on about. Uh, Ten-year yields. Good for you, Dan Nathan, who's saying for quite some time, we're going to trade down to 125 or so. Well, we're now 10 basis points or so away. You've broken that uptrend line that Dan has drawn. That 123 level is a 200-day moving average. Looks like it's right in the crosshairs. Um, there are a lot of things to be concerned about on the inflation picture, but the 10-year bond is certainly not telling you that. Yeah, the 10-year bond is agreeing with what the Fed has been saying, and the Fed has been catching a lot of heat for saying that they, you know, the jury's still out on inflation, whether it's near-term created by all the bottlenecks and disconnects created by um, the pandemic, right, or whether that, that some of this um, higher prices, whether it be wages or inputs like energy and stuff like that, are here to stay. And, you know, listen, I'm, again, I've said this a million times. I am no economist. I'm no strategist. I'm just a dumb, like, trader who's, like, stares at, at screens all day. And I've been doing that for 25 years. And I guess the point is when 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 the screams get the loudest, um, you know, about, you know, what's going on here, it usually kind of finds itself going the opposite way. I didn't even bother drawing that downtrend from the March highs. You know, the most important thing is we've broken that uptrend. And I will say one of the reasons, Guy, you and I make a good team is that we are not in agreement all the time on a lot of things. But I will tell you this. Last summer, when the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was below 1%, I was saying things like the rates are never going up meaningfully. And you're like, well, watch this. They're going to 1% in a straight line, and then they're going to 2%. You were pretty right, man. I mean, we got to 177 here. What I was just saying at the time, and you weren't one of those people, is that all of these people saying that the Fed is wrong, they're always wrong, or this and that, whatever, that's not a great trade when everyone's on the same side of the boat, is what I was saying, you know what I mean? So um, in some ways, you recognized all the things that were out there that might cause some investors, at least in the bond market, to say, you know what, we might have topped out in yields a little bit. Yeah, no, it's, and, and listen, I appreciate that. It, and that's what makes markets, as they say. And I think that's why you tune into the macro setup, because you hear differing points of view, which I think helps you formulate an opinion one way or another. Listen, I'm, I'm going to continue to say I think yields are going higher, but at a certain point, you have to say uncle. And I'm probably at that point now where it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that we're going to test that 200-day moving average at 122, 123, and we'll see what happens. Kudos to you, though. It's been a great call, which brings us to something that wasn't that great over the weekend. I just <sighs> tweeted out something earlier that D.D. Gregorius is greater than D.D. dollar sign in front of it, and that. I'll say, you know, that's true as long as Didi Gregorius plays shortstop for the Phillies. But there was some big news that came out over a holiday weekend. Obviously, the stock didn't like it. But I don't think this is a single stock story, Dan. I think this has, in my opinion, has far greater ramifications. 
Yeah, I think there's obviously, um, you know, this is the the hundred year anniversary of the Communist Party in China just this month, I guess. And, you know, you see them flexing all over the place. Um, you know, there's been a lot of really troubling um, backdrops. You know, we, we basically the Hong Kong situation, basically the Chinese takeover of Hong Kong. You know, we haven't heard a whole heck of a lot about that. There's huge implications for that as it relates to global finance and, and a whole host of other uh, reasons. Obviously, you know, they're dust up or they're routine dust up with Taiwan. And when you think about some of the globalization that we're talking about trying to fix these supply chains, I mean, Taiwan is a huge, important region as it relates to chip production and and the like. And then when you think about, you know, Chinese regulators just trying to rein in their tech companies, we've seen this going on now for years, specifically with Alibaba and the recent situation with Alipay. I mean, listen, you know, Jack Ma, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, one of the richest men in the world, Chinese entrepreneur, created Alibaba. He's been seen in public like twice in the last six to nine months or something like that. I mean, when these guys want to flex and take control, they do. And I think the most important point here is for U.S. investors buying Chinese um, IPOs, understand that there are tape bounds, uh, bombs aplenty. And that hasn't even come up with like anything that that our government might do to counteract some of this behavior mm-hmm. in a way. So to me, this is one that, you know, we're not going to talk about it on a single stock level. It is a big, big macro story, though. Guys. Yeah. And I want to go to the FXI because I think that's important. But what I will point out, and this is not a political comment whatsoever, but as we say all the time, the market will always test a new Fed chair. And I think the Chinese yeah. will always test a new president. And I think that's what's going on now. I, I don't think it matters who the president is. I think that's just what's being happening and coinciding with the 100 year anniversary, which you mentioned I think that rhetoric gets worse before it gets better. But this FXI chart, and you drew some great little swiggly lines. Those swiggly lines, by the way, for you folks playing our home <laughs> game, is suggestive of a head and shoulders pattern, which theoretically should mean we should trade down to the September 2020 lows. What say you, Dan Nathan? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I don't, Chinese equities don't seem particularly um, like a buy here when you think about this. Now, I think that I've read a lot of strategist reports saying that this is probably the fines that they levied on um, Alibaba for Alipay, you know, trying to kind of halt this DD IPO overseas. Um, this is probably as bad as it gets in the near term. Um, so you might see, for instance, the FXI kind of retest, like you said, those last fall lows of 2020, maybe 42, 41 or something like that. But then it probably sets up as a decent buy here. These, you know, the Chinese, they don't want to kill these companies. They just want the world to know that they control them for all intents and purposes. So to me, FXI is not done yet. Like you said, textbook head and shoulders. You probably see some lower lows. All right, guys, Diamond, we've got to get to OPEC before we get to our fabulous guest from Daily FX here. We that got would be Peter the, Hanks. The OPEC plus crises. This is a Bloomberg headline here this morning. This is causing, you know, causing a bit of volatility. The headlines that I saw when I wake up in the middle of the night, and I check my iPhone, is that crude oil surging to multi-year highs. But that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment here. We've given back that surge. Um, what's your take on what's going on in oil? And we're going to hit some of the other reasons why um, this one is held up better than a lot of other industrial commodities. Look, given the run that crude has had, and we're going to have a crude chart in a second, the volatility makes sense at these levels because you have a lot of itchy trigger fingers. A lot of people have been in this trade. They're waiting to see, you know, what's going to, what's the catalyst going to be for me to get out of my long position. So I think the higher it goes, the more uh, skittish the market gets, which is why I think you're seeing this volatility. And if we could sort of pull up that crude chart, I think we have a 20-year chart that makes a lot of sense. This is textbook. I mean, this is a 13-year chart. 
um, downtrend that we've been in for the last 13 years. As Carter Worth would say, Dan, Nathan, please do the honors. To the penny, buddy. I mean, just a series of lower highs and a series of lower lows. You could have drawn also a trend line attaching those lows from 2009, 2016, and 2020. And when you see that, I mean, you better have like some very good fundamental reasons why you're going to get a material breakout. I mean, if anything, you know, back towards that 200-day moving average at about... $58.5 seems like a good trade, but this is a great way to get a snapshot. Obviously, it's not a long chart here, but um, this is, you know, a 20-year chart, and that line is driven uh, drawn from 13 years. So to me, I'm not playing that breakout, but you know what? Let's get the take on somebody who really, yeah, I draw simple lines, Guy Adami, but daily effects is Peter Hanks. This guy knows how to draw lines on charts, and he's obviously an expert on some of the things that we're talking about here. So let's bring Peter in. Welcome to the show, Peter Hankson. I listen, we're up against the time-wise. I know you're a Laker fan. You're also a Formula One fan. What were you, born in like Monte Carlo or something? I mean, just give me <laughs> nine seconds as to what's going on there. Yeah, well, my dad was always a big F1 fan growing up, so it was really through him uh, that, I, that I got into the sport. But also from Southern California originally, thus the Lakers. Also did a little bit of surfing in my time there. My man. I've never seen anyone perform technical analysis on a drawing of surfers on a wave. That was something special. Kudos to you. I appreciate that. I do appreciate that. And listen, you saw what we just said, or you heard what we just said about crude. That's going to be your first chart, I believe. Let's talk about crude oil and what your thoughts are here. Yeah, so we've been talking about it the last few times I've come on, and this uptrend has been intact for really March 2020 onwards now. And we were taking an eye at some resistance around 74, 77, This OPEC dust-up has allowed us to push beyond 74. 77 is now kind of the level that's in my eyes, might give a little bit of resistance and maybe a reason to pull back. And now I'm really watching that broader uptrend from March 2020 as, you know, support to hold. I think it's a little overextended here. Wouldn't be super comfortable dipping my toe into the water at this point. Yeah, I would mention this, Peter. This is a great chart to follow up the long-term chart that I had because obviously there's lots of different frameworks to look at um, the technicals. And you know, when I look at your chart here, I see what you see, man. But I almost want to see a slight pullback. If I were playing for a breakout, I'd love to see a pullback to that uptrend, hold, and kind of gather some steam in playing for that breakout a little bit. What does my chart say to you, that 20-year chart where we're attaching that those highs and that downtrend? I mean, is that also helping inform your short-term opinion? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's a major level. I mean, 13 years of uh, you know confidence behind it. So yeah. maybe a pullback to the 200-day if, if we had your chart. Uh, mine on that uptrend, but really consolidation at this point, I think would be pretty healthy. Uh, I don't know if we have really the the gusto to push beyond anything now and, and stage such a major breakout. So 200 day, 58 or slightly higher on my uptrend line is is what I'm watching. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I totally see this uptrend. Dan, Dan drew that great 13 year downtrend line. I, I'm going to stay in the camp that I think crude's going to have that one last gasp higher. I think crude overshoots to the downside. We saw that obviously a year and a half or so ago. I think it's going to happen here as well. But you know, nothing can happen, and this might be the most important chart without the cooperation of the dollar. And you have a great U.S. dollar chart you want to take a look at now. Yeah, this really all goes back to the yields conversation, I think, and, you know, what the Fed is looking to do. And now that we're in the taper window where we can talk about it instead of talking and talking about it or what have you, 
But this dollar chart here, we got a double bottom the last few weeks that uh, allowed us to push beyond some of these recent highs, put in a higher high. Now I think it's up to the dollar and dollar bulls to kind of etch out a series of higher highs and higher lows here before we can look to progress on a, a longer term breakout because that that trend line that falls through uh, deeper on the chart there really goes back to 2008. And that is a, a significant level similar to crude, really, where yeah. we just have some longstanding technical levels that we need to distance ourselves from before we're really in like a firm breakout territory. All right. Help us here, Peter. Okay. We're just a couple of dumb talking heads, right? I mean, clearly I am guy is obviously the pretty face of the, of the, of the partnership here, but um, so, all right, we have a dollar that's firmed up, right? It clearly held some, some important technical levels. This is the Dixie, which is half the Euro. And you're going to talk about the Euro in a second, but let's just talk about what the dollar is doing. All right. It's held rates though are falling out of bed right now. So please explain that to me because every time, you know, the first time I ever heard the term quantitative easing, it was explained to me that one of the main reasons that they were trying to do is devalue the dollar and that worked, okay? But what happened is when they started tapering quantitative easing, this is going back to 2014, 15, what did we see? We saw the dollar rip. I mean, literally the Dixie went from like 80 to 100 in the straight line. And the dollar seems to be getting ahead, doing the opposite um, guy, you want to help me out here? I'm trying to figure this. Well, I do. Thing out I saw here. What, so what's when they make? What's when the kids do a picture with three sayings? So this is eerily reminiscent of Goodfellas, right? So one dog's in the boat looking one way. That's the U.S. dollar. The other dog's yeah. in the boat looking the other way. Yeah. That's ten-year yields. And the old guy with the beard is like, "What do you want from me?" That's crude oil. That's, that's the right. Mimi or Jeff that, or that, something. That's so, that's the Mimi. And so that's I, what I'm trying to encapsulate here because really, if the dollar's going up then shouldn't crude go down? That's what we saw back in 15 and 16 when we started tapering and coming off ZERP. Dollar went up in a straight line. Crude literally lost 65% of its value over two years. And, and, and so again, what do you want from me? Help us explain this. Guy calls it a witch's brew with rates going lower, dollar going higher. And, and really crude oil is one of the only commodities that continues to make new highs at this point. Yeah, it's a strange situation to be sure. I think the witch's brew that guy oh. locked onto is is kind of the thing you have to talk about. Uh, it's comes back to the Fed, in my opinion. And if they are now talking about tapering, that is going to obviously be very, very bullish for the dollar longer term. Yields, however, we have seen them break that uptrend line that you had drawn on a prior chart. That signals to me we're going to have a continuation of this weird witch's brew setup where we have the dollar going higher. That's going to continue to eat away at some of these commodities like gold, not crude oil yet, but we've already seen a, a lot of breakdowns in other commodities, silver, copper, lumber. I think that will continue here uh, as to why yields are maybe a little bit hesitant. It could come back to supply, could come back to just the Fed's participation in all these markets. I mean, mm -hmm. they haven't actually started taking their foot off the gas yet. It's only discussion so far. So maybe the dollar camp is, is more on the side of, okay, we have these rumors. Let's act on these while treasuries, bonds, maybe a little bit more hesitant and waiting uh, until we actually get some concrete market activity. Well, it, listen, it, there seems to be a lot of major risk assets. They're acting more on rumors. Um, you know, it, like some of the, some of the behavior seems to make some sense to me. All right, let's go to the other side of this Dixie trade, um, Peter. And let's talk about who let's talk about the Euro. Cause this thing, you know, that was a, a really nice uptrend and now it had a break and then it retested it and it failed 
I mean, that is about as nasty as it gets. And I see your other downtrend line. You tell me where that is. That's below the prior low. Um, are we going there? Yeah, I think we are. And like you said, as a technical trader, a breakthrough and then a failed test and a lower low, that's just like picture perfect, in yeah. my opinion. So that trend line that's slightly lower is from 2013. That's a pretty major level again. So I think that's the next uh, area in store. Maybe some support around that lower low that we got uh, in the second quarter there. That could be an area to either think about repositioning if you're actively trading or an area that you'd want to see broken if you're looking for uh, a retest of the longer term trend line. Mr. Formula One Gold, talk to me. Give it to me straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so gold here. It, it really comes back to the yield and the dollar equation, in my opinion. Those are the fundamental drivers here. So with yields breaking down, that is going to be kind of a, a tailwind for gold, in my opinion. On the dollar side of things, dollar strength going to eat away at this precious metal here. So it's kind of similar to crude oil, where it's caught in the middle a little bit. Uh, I think technically speaking, the level that we have to watch out for is 1820, 1815. That is derived from the August downtrend. And that was a pretty formidable channel that was holding for months on end until we got a, a breakout here in the second quarter. That breakout since kind of been eradicated and now we're uh, yeah. looking to break out again. I don't know if we'll, if we'll do it this time though. That, yeah, that was a nasty break of that uptrend. And it's really important to notice that that uptrend coincided with a nasty peak to trough decline of about 50% or so in Bitcoin, the old digital gold. Let's go to that, Peter. You have a chart there. And listen, I got to tell you, I know that the, the Twitterverse or the, the crypto Twitterverse, they think um, that Bitcoin is held. They just keep talking about the price, the price and, and all the memes and everything like that. That chart looks horrible to me. I'm just going to tell you that. I think the bounce off of 30,000 or is a little below that is not particularly impressive. And the next time it goes through, it might go through meaningfully. And I'm just not sure what the catalyst is to bust it above that resistance level. So, you know, to me, the inverse relationship with Bitcoin and gold um, seems to make sense, I guess. I was never a big gold bug to begin with, but I suspect that the next time we see Bitcoin really break lower, I'm not sure you see gold uh, catch the bid that it did over the last few months. Yeah, I'm not sure you see it either. Uh, Bitcoin here, just because of the fundamental situation and the fundamental drivers, there's not a ton to go off of. I mean, if we're yeah. relying on tweets from CEOs and, and yeah. huge crypto bugs and things like that, not really a supply-demand relationship you can look at. So I do think this is a very ugly chart here. We have resistance around 41, 42,000, support around 30K. 30K got broken a few days ago. It did kind of hold, but it wasn't very encouraging. And it, it put in a lower low beyond that. Now we have a pretty significant series of lower highs as well. So yeah. I think we go lower before we go higher. Fundamental drivers, the hype is kind of all falling by the wayside. So pretty dire straits here for Bitcoin, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you laid out the levels pretty clearly. I mean, it's 40 to 30K, and that's when people's antennas are going to get up in a meaningful way. So um, thank you, Peter. That was a great rundown of some of the some of the, um, the commodities, the currencies, and obviously, um, you know, gold and Bitcoin here. So thank you very much for that. I want to thank Peter Hanks as well. You know, some combination, as I've been watching him, of Emerson Fittipaldi and Jackie Stewart, for you Formula One fans out there, I might be dating myself, but then could you blame me? Anyway, I want wow. to thank Peter Hanks from Daily FX. Dan Nathan, give us some parting words before we get out of here. 
Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, we started the show by talking about those inflows. We started the show by talking about 15% higher in the S&P 500. Um, Listen, you know, like, you know, trees don't grow to the sky here. And, you know, you and I have been constructive about a lot of different things going on in in some some different markets. I, I don't think it's a great like time right now, right before earnings start here to be piling a little bit. I think you're going to get a pullback and it could be a bit nasty because no one's expecting it. And there's so many different markets that are telling us that. And there's one that is telling us it's screaming at you. And that is the 10 year US Treasury yield. And I think pay attention to that because if it goes to one, two, three, that 200 day moving average, it might go straight to 1%, just like it might have overshot to the upside. It might do so to the downside guy. Well, it all depends on what your definition of the sky is, because clearly trees are growing somewhere. I guess, you know, that level where (laughs) sky becomes space. But that's another macro setup for another time. Again, thanks to Peter Hanks. I dig Peter Hanks. I also dig our presenting sponsor today, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. And of course, our new presenting sponsor, Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan Nathan, I'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. Thanks.